If you open your Bibles with me this morning, we're going to be in the New Testament book of Luke as we're continuing a sermon series that is called Simply Christmas. And we're taking this day-by-day look at the events that surrounded the birth of Jesus Christ that, that all leads into this very historic event. And this morning, we see the pinnacle of the Christmas story. Today, we get to experience one of the most miraculous events in all of history. We get to witness an event that had been planned since the beginning of time, an event so dramatic that the lead-up to it took thousands of years, and an event that there were so many clues that were put into time and put into Scripture and put into actions of the world for the sole reason is so that people would know exactly what was happening, when it was happening, and if they didn't know at the time it was happening, that we would be able to look back and see exactly what happened later. It's recognizable that our Christmas story might start at the beginning of the New Testament, but it's one of the two moments that the Old Testament continually points towards. Everything that has happened on earth so far at this point of the beginning of time points to people, or is pointing people, towards the beginning and the end of the life of Jesus. If you would turn with me to Luke chapter 2, we're going to be reading verses 1 through 20 in a message that I have titled, Jesus Our Christ is Born. Now this morning I'm going to present it a little bit differently than most of the messages that I bring from, from this stage. A lot of times I'll read from the New Living Translation or the New International Version or sometimes the New King James Version, but this morning... I'm actually reading from the King James Version, and it's not that it's any, any better or any more accurate, it's just very traditional in its wording, and it kind of sounds like we're listening to the Christmas story from, from in front of uh, Grandpa's on his rocking chair, and we're just going to kind of listen to what he would have been reading us, right? So that's all it is, it's, it's, it's just pure sound quality today of why we're using the King James Version. As we have recognized from the last few weeks, the gospel writer Luke, who also wrote the book of Acts, he writes in very deep detail. We'd, we'd studied that he had gone out and, and he had taken eyewitness accounts of the content that he had written down through the book of Luke and, and through Acts. And, and in Luke chapter 2, we're going to see some of these details that he puts into our Christmas story as nobody else Ever did, and I want you to read with me. We're in Luke chapter 2, we're in verse number 2. And it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. And this taxing was first made when Cyrenius was governor of Syria. So we're going to stop for a minute. The tax, and in some translations, we might have heard it referred to as a census, it was actually both. It, it was a point in time when the Jewish people lived under Roman rule. The Romans had taken over the land in 63, and in 63 BC, they had taken over the land, and so now you have the Jewish people who are under Roman rule. And as you can imagine, any government that is ruling another group of people, a way to keep a tight rein, tight rein on the people would be to 
We tax them, count them, keep control, know what you have in your inventory, right? So that's what's, what's happening here is that the government is demanding that the taxes be paid to the Roman authorities. They want a census. They want to know. The census ordered all the people to register to register their estates according to their value and, and, and the money that they had. And, and they're basically pledging. They're putting their name on the list saying, yeah, we're, we're citizens under the Roman government. The Jews may not have been terribly excited about that fact, but, but that's in fact what they're doing at this point. People who were being counted in the census would have to deliver to the government value of their belongings, name of their parents, their age, name of all their wives. So the government wants to keep a list. They, they want to have this information, right? And out of this declared information, the, the government is now going to assess them tax and they're going to count them. So that's the reason that, that everyone is coming together now is to be registered per person as a family under Roman rule. Let's pick up the action in verse number five. Uh, verse number three. And all went to be taxed, every one into his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea unto the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and the lineage of David to be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child. Joseph, Joseph is from the, the lineage of David. This is King David we're talking of, okay? And, and if you remember in the Old Testament where King David was from a very small town. If you remember that David was found taking care of sheep in a small town, living at his dad's place, Jesse's place, in a town called Bethlehem, Right? It's about six miles outside of Jerusalem. Bethlehem, it literally means the house of bread. It's interesting that we have a town that means the house of bread, and, and our Messiah, our bread of life, comes out of this town. For Joseph to be from the house of David is so particular and important to our story because the Christmas story is in fact prophesied about hundreds of years before as it's foretold Samuel in second Samuel it says this when God tells David he says when your days are complete and you lie down with your fathers I will raise up a descendant after you who will come forth from you and I will establish his kingdom so he says it's coming from the line of David so this is so important that Joseph is in this story so when the census and the tax was called for and the line of the family and David is to report to Bethlehem, see, God knew what he's doing. He is purposefully targeting this prophecy that was laid out thousands of years before so that everyone would know exactly what was happening. Or you and I, looking back, would know exactly what happened. See, Micah had mentioned that Bethlehem would be the place the Messiah was born. Looking back, it all starts to come together at this time. The census, the taxation, the exact location. Mary's being pregnant with her firstborn child. We can see all these things starting to come together. And so when we start looking at the evidence of the Christmas story, I want to make sure that one thing is perfectly clear. 
The details of the birth of Jesus are so specific and so particular that there is no way that this series of events are coincidental or are in any way an accident. Point number one in your notes this morning. From before time began, God's hand of providence guided the actions leading to the birth of Jesus. This is absolutely not an accident that there's a baby born of a virgin in a town that was called for hundreds of years ago to a man named Joseph who's from the line of David. It is so specific so that it doesn't happen by accident. As a matter of fact, Here's a shocker. Mary didn't even have to go on the trip from Nazareth into Bethlehem. Joseph could have done everything on his own. She, she goes because she goes because this is the man. This is the man that the, the angel said, I want you with this man. You're, you, you're connected with this man. He's going to father this child. She loves this man. She's going to go with him into Bethlehem. It's that important. See, God had his hand in this process. Mary didn't go to Bethlehem because she felt a deep urge to get out of town with Joe and just go hang out in the big city. That's not why she left. She went because this whole trip was set forth by God and his hand. He had control of the setting. He had control of the reason. He had control of the pregnancy. He had control of the birth. Look how precise everything is. God put this all in play. It's about 80 miles from Nazareth to Bethlehem. I would have taken about three to four days walking 80 miles on an animal, the way that a pregnant woman walks or rides an animal. So I don't know about you, but I've... I've never seen a pregnant woman in our day and age who was really enthusiastic about taking a four-day hike uh, about 80 miles to register with the government. Okay, so, so, so let me break this down. It would be like asking a pregnant woman, so get this, 80 miles from Paris is going to put you in Santa Monica. It's going to put you at the beach, okay? So it's like going from Paris to the beach, walking three to four days, 80 miles, just to show up at the beach and go to register your car at the DMV. That's what it's like. It's like, why are we going? Because I have to go stand in line to register with the government. That's why. Like, who really wants to do that? Raise your hand if you would be enthusiastic about making that trip. Walking from here to the beach to go stand in line at the DMV. So, okay, guys, put your hands down. Guys, raise your hand if you would be enthusiastic about walking with a pregnant woman four days, 80 miles to go stand in line at the DMV. Seeing no hands, we move on. Verse number six. And so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be, that she sh should be delivered profounded. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. 
See, the Bible doesn't tell us that Jesus was born the first night that Mary and Joseph made it into Bethlehem, but it does tell us that while they were in Bethlehem, two events took place that would have profound implications on our Christmas story. First, Mary and Joseph couldn't find a place to stay. Luke doesn't give us a massive amount of information about the hotel accommodations in the city of Bethlehem, but we know that there were so many people in town because the entire line of David, right? All these people have to come into town to register. Again, it's like standing in line at the DMV, okay? Everyone is there. Like, you have to draw a number and then just wait for someone to call your name next Thursday to go and register. But... We know that there's so many people and there's simply no room available. And, and we've seen in Christmas movies this idea that Joseph was going from one hotel to the next hotel and ringing the buzzer, right? We see him ringing the buzzer and, and asking for the innkeeper that comes up to the window and Joseph's there standing in the rain while Mary's out in the parking lot sitting on a donkey in pain because she's about to give birth, right? And, and although that image comes into our mind, Luke never even mentions that Joseph went and knocked on a bunch of doors. Luke doesn't even mention an innkeeper. He simply tells us that there was no room for them at the inn. That's, that's what he said. And, and second, the second massive event that happens is the fact that Jesus is born. It tells us, and we can celebrate this, that Jesus is born, but it gives us a very specific location. It says he's born in a manger. In the original language, it would have been very understandable that this is, this is referring to a stable. This is where animals live. It's not a kind of nice built thing that's out in the front yard. It's not very clean at all. Mary and Joseph knew they had been told that their son was special. And they knew that amazement was going to come from, from their child. May not have known everything that he's going to do, but he was not born into a world of honor. Even though he was from the line of David, he, he, would, he would have been born in our modern day equivalent to being out in the back parking lot behind a Motel 6. Like just out there in the back. And where, where, some, where some guy is putting cat food for the cats out by the dumpsters, literally, that's kind of our modern day equivalent. It's not the best place to deliver a child, right? Any other king would have had numerous servants who would have been available to take care of the royal child. Any other mother of royalty would have undoubtedly had, had amazing midwives and the softest bed to, to welcome this, this child into a wonderful atmosphere, but not Mary, not Joseph, not Jesus. That's not the way he came into our world. See, the birth of Jesus comes from humble beginnings. Humbly, he came into this world. Humbly he lived, and humbly he, he died. It's this quality of humility that we see, which is the exact opposite of 
the presence of pride. It's, the, there's nothing prideful about the way that Jesus was born. There's nothing prideful about the way that he came into the world. As a matter of fact, it would be considered very mean in our modern day culture. Ruthless, cruel maybe, lowly uh, of today. We, we can see on reality television people that are spending massive amounts of money for, for uh, gender reveals and, and to have kids in a nice, posh, awesome, great place. But that's, that's pride. That's not humility, right? No child in our modern day should should even be delivered into a world out in the backside of a hotel where they keep animals. What would we think about, what would we think about a mom that made the news these days that, that we heard she, she gave birth out in the, the barn area? I'm sure that Mary was delivering a child for the first time the way she never thought that she would. Chances are she's spending the night in the stable for the very first time. Chances are Joseph has no clue what to do. He's never, he's never been there when a child's been delivered before. These two people are in a moment in their lives that they had never been in before. And, and neither of them has had a baby before. Maybe they had seen somebody give birth before. Maybe they had, had heard of an aunt or somebody at the house, but they have no clue what's going on. There's no friends nearby, no family, no hospital bed, just a blanket of cold night and a goat looking by. In kind of this private moment, there's barnyard animals and filth and dirt. And chances are they're scared. Chances are they're alone. But chances are they're both remembering a message from this angel who told them there was something so spectacular about their child. But I don't think the angel prepared them for this night. I don't think that the angel would have told them that you're going to be in a town that you don't know and nobody's there to help, and there's not a soft place for you, and you're going to give birth out back somewhere with the animals. Joseph's probably whispering to Mary the words of, of the angel and just trying to comfort her in her pain and in her labor. And without that memory from the angel, this moment may have been more devastating, but with the words of Gabriel, there's comfort in knowing that all this cold, all of this hay, all of this ground, all of the smell of the animals, it was all planned by God Almighty. That His hand was in it. That His hand has led everyone to this moment. Without that memory from the angel, this night could have been much more difficult to manage as they were in the barn. It's amazing the work that the angels do in the Christmas story. And they're not done. Follow me to Luke chapter 2, we're in verse number 8. Luke writes, And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in their fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone around about them. And they were sore afraid. 
And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. Wow. There's so much amazing content in these four verses, and none as much as this last clause in verse number 11. The word Christ, it's from the, the, the Greek word Christos. It, it translates into the Messiah, or literally the anointed one. Watch this, point number two in your notes this morning. The angels did not announce Jesus by name, but rather announced Jesus by title. In our culture, we use the word Christ, and we use the name Jesus interchangeably quite a bit. But if they would have said, hey, uh, Jesus has been born, didn't have as much impact on the shepherds as them coming and saying, the Messiah has been born. Because the Messiah is the one that people are waiting for. The angel said, the Messiah is born, the anointed one, the Lord of lords, the Lamb of God, the one that's been prophesied about for hundreds of years. And these shepherds undoubtedly would have been hoping for, just like anyone else in the Jewish nation at the time, they are praying for the Messiah. They know that he's been prophesied for and they're waiting. And he is finally here. But it was the title of the Son of God that mattered. That's what mattered to the shepherds. But for these men to be the first to hear about the coming of the Messiah, wouldn't it seem like the religious leaders, the one who are closest to God, would probably hear first that Messiah is coming so they can announce it to all the subjects of the land? No. Shepherds are the first to hear about the coming king. And that's drastically uncommon for any royalty. You think over there in the castle where the baby king is being born on the royal line, that one of the, uh, one of the midwives says, okay, you know what, the baby's been born. We're not going to go tell the king or the queen right now tell you what, let's go downstairs, let's find some shepherds that are out back cleaning up, and let's tell them first, right? That's not going to happen, right? But that's the way God announces his royal line, amen? Let me tell you something about shepherds. They smell like bad. Yeah. So at this time of year, they would have had their animals out in the fields and they're, and they're grazing out in the fields. And that means that shepherds might have a tent out there and they're taking three-hour shifts to watch the, the flock by night because there's predators out. Many things like to eat sheep, right? There's wolves and bears and dragons and whatever else there is at that time of night that's out there. Okay, so there's probably not dragons, but, so, but there are people who would come and steal sheep also because sheep have value, right? So there are predators, and, and the shepherds are watching. Here's something about shepherds. They are a very important part of culture, but they are so looked down upon by culture. 
Because of their work, they can't keep up with the ceremonial cleanings, so they're not allowed to take part in many of the religious rituals. They, they, they're ostracized. They're told they're lower than anyone else. They're shunned at the doors of the temple. Jerusalem is about six miles away from Bethlehem, okay? You know what happens every morning and every evening in Jerusalem? They need a lamb, right? They need a lamb for a sacrifice. So wouldn't it be smart to keep some lambs nearby? So the Bible doesn't tell us that these lambs are, are used for the temple, but there would be shepherds who would be raising lambs that would be used in the temple. And, and all the shepherds around would know that my flock is allowed to get into the temple, but I'm not. I can't, but these animals that I'm raising, they're going to go into the temple. They're not going to come out, but they're going to go in. I can't even go in. Of these shepherds, they're Jewish. They know. They know what the Scripture said. It's part of their life. They know the Messiah is coming. And, and when they're out in the fields and the angels come to them, it, it would have been frightening. The Bible even says that. Let me ask you, if, if you knew a king was going to be born... Would we expect the first people to know to be the public outcasts in our culture? Would the people would be like the social equivalent to the guys who are out back of that Motel 6 digging in a dumpster? Or maybe it's the social outcasts in our world. It's the guy who's just holding a sign by the stoplight, right? That's who the angel told Angel went and found people who live in the lowest status of the land to make an announcement to them. You know why? I think it's because these are people who have nothing to lose. They're the ones who Jesus came for. They're people who need hope. They, they're ones who have nothing. They're people who, who are already broken from their pride. Christ doesn't have to fight pride from the shepherds, Right? That angel told the shepherds that there were good tidings of great joy that, would, that was better for all people, not just the Jews, not just kings and royalty, not just people who can earn a living with their hands, not just people who have made it. Jesus actually comes to give freedom from oppression from those who are oppressed, right? Not only did the angel come to give the shepherds announcement, but the angel also came to give the shepherds instructions. Read with me back. We're in verse number 12. Luke writes, And this shall be a sign unto you, ye shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill towards men. And it came to pass that as the angels were gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us now go even unto Bethlehem and see this thing which is come to pass, which the Lord hath made known to us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. And when they had seen it, they made known abroad the saying which was told to them concerning the child. So that evening... The shepherds went out 
just like they normally did to watch their sheep, to take care of their sheep. But tonight an angel comes to visit them. And tonight an angel told them to go into town and find a baby lying in a manger. Shepherds know exactly what a manger is. And shepherds know exactly what a baby is. And shepherds probably know that these are two things that don't go together. You ever taken one of those tests? Which one of these things don't fit? Peanut butter, jelly, gasoline, right? So it's kind of like that. Manger, mule, baby. Which one of these things don't fit? Baby doesn't fit in a manger that just doesn't go with the story, right? They know what a manger is. They raise livestock for a living. That's what they do. They're really familiar with a manger? Really? That's where animals fight and slobber for food. And there's a baby that... Wait... Not just any baby? You're telling me the Messiah is in a feeding trough? Like, we, we see sheep eat all the time, and some of us have maybe fed horses and stuff. That's not very tidy. I don't know if like the health department really is going to appreciate child being born into a manger. It's not sanitary at all. So after the heavenly hosts, after they, they're done singing, the shepherds huddled up and they decided they're going to go and see the baby. And, and then they're told, like they're told to do, could you imagine their conversation? Can you imagine their conversation as they left the grazing area and they go running into Bethlehem? They might, they might get down and walk around. The, they're walking around town. They're looking in stables. And, and they're like, this doesn't make any sense. Stables, a baby walking around, looking at the stables, and then they hear something. Like they hear a cry. They could hear, they could hear a cry of a child. Mary would have been wondering what these men, what they're doing, showing up at the stable. She's tired. Joseph's probably really cautious, like, okay, I don't know who you are. My wife just had a baby. Um, it's cold, and you're showing up, and you're telling us this story? That what? You were out there in the fields, and angels came and sang to you? Whoa. So they might stay for a bit and see Jesus. They've told their story. But then they left to tell this amazing story that they had just been part of. Read with me in verse 17. And when they had seen it, they made known abroad the saying which was told to them concerning the child. So what verse 17 tells us, point number three in your notes, watch this. The Christmas story demands to be told by us to others. The story in this historical event, it must be shared. Angels told the shepherds, go see the Christ child. Go see the Messiah. 
And they went and they saw Jesus, and then they went and told other people everything that had happened. The Bible says that they, they made known abroad. They, they went out. They didn't just go up and down the streets of Bethlehem and, and tell other people out there on the streets. No, they, they left. They went and told the whole area. And, and they didn't simply just tell people one night. This now became a lifelong commitment to tell other people about Jesus. Shepherds. There would undoubtedly be two reactions to the story when the shepherds came to talk to somebody and tell them what had happened. Some people, they might have believed the story, might have actually bought in and believed it because they saw evidence of the prophecies, but there'd be some people that would have chalked this story up to a bunch of livestock bums rambling on about nonsense. Does that sound like the two reactions that we see in our world when we tell people about Jesus? But see, God chose the shepherds to be the first people to tell others about Jesus because, watch this, the shepherds, they didn't have anything to lose. They didn't have status to lose. They didn't have money to lose. They didn't really have good jobs to lose. They, they didn't have a lot of maybe family that would disown them for telling this kind of a story. They didn't have political correctness to lose. They didn't have a, a great social media presence to lose. They didn't have pride to lose by telling this story about Jesus. And I think it leads us to ask... What do we have to lose by telling other people about Jesus? Maybe the question is better positioned like this. What is it that we need to lose to start telling other people about Jesus? Do we need to relinquish pride? Do we need to be reminded that God has given us this story to tell others because it's one of the two most important stories in history, that it is our job to tell other people about Jesus. We're not simply given the job to come to church once a week, sit and read and listen and sing and go home and kick on a football game and go back into normal life and then come back. We are given a job to go. Come back with me into verse number 18. And all they that heard it wondered at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all of these things and pondered them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told unto them. See, the people who listened to the story from the shepherds, they took time to wonder about it. They took time to think about it. Do you think any of those people would have been thinking about that story if the shepherds hadn't have told the story? If the shepherds had just gone back up to the fields started taking their rotation. You know how many people start pondering a story when nobody tells them the story? Zero people. Shepherd's story was one that Mary hung really close to because she just heard the fact, she heard the fact that 
the announcement of the birth of her child was told to shepherds. There was heavenly hosts that were singing? Wow! See, that night, nobody knew what would happen 33 years later. But just like every moment leading up to the birth of Jesus, this moment that began the life of our Messiah points towards the end of his life. We've seen this point in your notes all month long. This has been in the bulletin. And it's there because it's so important. And we've written this down every week because it's that important. Point number four in your notes this morning. The child was born in the manger for one reason. To die on the cross. The census, the trip from Nazareth to Bethlehem, the city with no room for a pregnant visitor, the manger, it was all planned before time began for one reason. The manger of Bethlehem leads directly to the cross on Calvary. Without the Christmas story with the cute baby boy, we don't get to the Easter story full of pain and suffering and humiliation. We don't get to our Savior being nailed to a Roman cross without the Christmas story. We don't have a Messiah who is laying down His life for us. Without that Christmas story, we don't have a sacrifice for our sins. We don't have the cross. We don't have, if we don't have the cross, we don't have salvation. The manger is not the point of the Christmas story. The nails are the point. If you're here this morning and you're by chance wondering how a baby boy born out back among the animals can bring salvation for our sins, I desperately want to talk to you. I want to be able to to you and I just pray over here in a moment. I'm going to ask Pastor Daniel to come up and I'm going to ask for every head bowed and every eye closed this morning. As today we have seen, we have seen how God places a child in a manger and, and He told men to come out of the fields Men who have been rejected from society. And he did this so that, so that a child would grow up and die for you and die for me. The birth in a stable, the nails on the cross, it's all for one reason. It's because God loves us so much that He sent His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. This Christmas,